What an honor it is for me to introduce the final speaker this evening. I try to memorize all the accomplishments that he has accomplished thus far in his life. And I've said to some of the pastors today that this man, God has armed by being a minister, a pastor, a bishop, an author of books, of articles. He's a professor. He founds national foundations. He has a national syndication radio store. He's got so many weapons at his disposal. And the only slight imperfection I could see about this man is that he's a lawyer. <laughs> uh, and from this university that I hasten to mention, Harvard, Harvard. But I have known him for approximately seven and a half hours today. And I don't know how he views me, but I view him as one of my new best friends. I can tell you that. It, it, I think one of his best accomplishments is when he told us today that he's been married for 50 years. His book here says 49, but I like that milestone of 50. So he's been married 50 years to his lovely wife, Theodora. So that's a huge accomplishment. With all he's done, that may be his major accomplishments to do all the things and keep a wife and have three lovely children, but it is my honor here to welcome to this, to Hood County. Here is my new best friend, Mr. P.W. Jackson. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Judge. I'm, I'm honored to have you introduce me, and you're right. We are we are new best friends. We shared some things. I told him that I aspire one day maybe to own a ranch, and uh, he said, well, how big a ranch? I said, oh, I don't know, 20 acres or so. He said, down here, that's a ranchette. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> but we had a wonderful lunch today, and how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, isn't it? Uh, we share our, our common values and our common vision for this country, and, and I'm grateful to have been connected with them. I'm grateful to you, Phil, uh, for the invitation to come. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Uh, thank you all for coming. You know, I go places and people say, you know, thank you for encouraging us, but I want you to know that you encourage me. When I step up to an audience like this and I see you out here when I know you could be home watching television or doing any number of things, but because you love God and love this country, you are here instead to educate yourselves, to learn more, to be encouraged and strengthened. And believe me, I draw tremendous strength from that. So thank you all for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Now I've got a table over here, and uh, and I, I met a young man, by the way, who came to see me because I am a talk show host on American Family Radio, Monday through Friday at uh, 12 Central, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and I tell my audience when I'm going to speak places, look, if you show up, please introduce yourself. <clears throat> so while I was back in the green room, young man came back, Ulysses came back and said, I, I have to come and introduce myself. He's one of the listeners, 21 years old and drove two hours to get here. Ulysses, God bless you. God bless you, stand up, there you go. And folks, I just have to tell you that for an old man like me, although I don't think of myself that old, I know I am, but for somebody like me, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds come up to me and say, man, thank you so much. You really spoke to my heart. I tell you folks, it just doesn't get any better than that. So I want you all to be encouraged. Our young people are listening and they are being moved by the things that we say. We just have to not give up on it. Not give up on it. 
Well, let me introduce myself in my own way. It, it's not nearly as eloquent as you judge, but let me just tell you how I like to introduce myself everywhere I go. My name is E.W. Jackson, and I am not an African-American. I am an American. I am an American. of apologies and, and, and kowtowing and, and, and bending over and, and making excuses for America. America's not this and America's not that and America's dismissive and America's derisive. And it made me sick to my stomach to see a president travel around the world and apologize for our own country. I am so grateful to God to have a president who loves America, is not a second share with you for just a few moments. I know you all have been here, you've listened to, to others, and, and they had wonderful things to say. So I want to share with you for a few minutes before we go. The scripture that God gave me is 1 Chronicles 12, 32. You all are familiar with it. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. And I want to reflect a little bit on this thought. Understanding the times and knowing what to do. I'm a student of American history. Now, I'm an amateur. I'm not, I don't have a PhD in history. But I'm a student of our history. I love American history. And I think it's, it's so rich, and our young people have been so ill-served to have been indoctrinated and given a polemic that is against our country. Oh, we're not a perfect country, of course not, because we're not perfect people. But we have created, and our ancestors bequeathed to us, values that allowed us to create the greatest nation in the history of mankind. And I am convinced of this that it's not an accident and that it wasn't the result merely of their talents and gifts and intellect and ability. I really believe that America is a providential nation. I do not believe that God was sitting on the throne one day and looked up and said, oh my goodness, I just noticed, look what they created down there. <laughs> I believe God had in mind a nation that would be a reflection of the kingdom of God. It would be a nation that would have people from all over the world and that we would learn to come together and work together in spite of whatever background differences we might have. Some of us are Americans of Irish descent. Some of us are Americans of Italian descent. Some of us are Americans of Russian descent, of Eastern European descent. Some of us are Americans of Asian descent, of Indian descent. But we're all Americans. We're all Americans. And There is no country on the face of the earth that looks more like what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Amen. Think about that. There's no, king, there's no country on earth that looks more like what the kingdom of God is going to look like than the United States of America. I believe God gave this nation to us. To us in particular. You see, I don't believe according to uh, Acts 17.26, he has made from one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and determine their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I don't believe that any of us is here by accident. I don't believe any of us just got here. I don't believe our ancestors woke up one day and said they're coming. I don't believe my ancestors came here simply because of slavery. I believe God, by his own infinite wisdom and inimitable hand, picked out the people that he wanted to be here. And you and I are among those he chose. And by the way, he chose not only our ancestors to come here, but he chose us to be here at this time. And I'm telling you something, no matter how bad it might look, 
God wouldn't have you here at this time if you weren't equipped to deal with this time. We're going to emerge victorious in this situation because God put us here to deal with the circumstances that we face. Well, if we are a providential nation, if we're a nation ordained by God, if you look at the preamble, for example, it says not only that our founding fathers established the Constitution, but ordained it. Yeah. And even then, the word ordained was a word of sacred import. It meant that they saw this as a sacred document, not, not merely a piece of political uh, 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 documentation of the establishment of America. They saw it as something sacred that they were doing. And if God was in the middle of it, don't you know that the devil hates America? The devil hates this country. And this is one of the things I have a difficult time dealing with with some of our pastors. So glad that Bill uh, uh, Ledbetter's here and, uh, and Bill Miller and, and some other pastors, I'm sure. But, but, but the sad fact of the matter is that some pastors fail to discern the fact that we are in a spiritual battle and there is no neutral zone. That you've got to take sides. And if you really believe, I mean, you know, I, I try to reason with pastors, say, you know, if the devil attacks your family, would you just roll over and say, well, you know, that's the way it goes. I'm not going to get involved in that. No. Or, or if, if, if the devil tried to attack your health, are you not going to go to God and say, Lord, help me here. I, I'm sick. I, I need help. If the devil attacked your business, you mean to tell me you wouldn't, having put in sweat and tears and hours, you wouldn't go to God and say, Lord, what's, what's wrong here? I, something's wrong. I, I, I feel like, Lord, I need help. I, I've got to save this business. Well, how in the world can we sit by when the devil attacks one of the greatest gifts God has ever given mankind? This nation has had more freedom, more opportunity, offered more hope, given more people the ability to fulfill their God-given gifts and talents and abilities and raise families and create good lives for themselves than any nation that's ever existed on the face of the earth. And we can't let the devil take that away from us. things that we fail to understand is that there is an ideology that has infiltrated our country that is contrary to everything the country is based on. And that ideology is Marxism. Now, now I realize most Americans, you know, you start talking about Marxism and socialism and communism, and until recently, most Americans, oh, well, you know, that, that, that was over when the Soviet Union collapsed. No, not at all. The idea is alive and well. It's being taught in our colleges and universities. It's being taught in our public schools. It's even being taught in our corporate world, it seems. And this is worst of all, it's even being taught in some of our churches. See, what has happened is communism has evolved, if you will, from merely an ideology that seeks to overthrow a country by revolution into a different kind of ideology. The, 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 the primary promoter of this was a man named Antonio Gramsci, who was a disciple of Karl Marx. And by the way, just as a little footnote, Antonio Gramsci, uh, as a, a renowned Marxist in scholarly circles, uh, has something called, and he's dead now, of course, but there's something called the International Gramsci Society. The International Gramsci Society was created by one of the renowned closet communists of the country who just recently passed away. His name was Joseph Buttigieg. He was the father of Pete Buttigieg. Oh, wow. And the founder of the Inter International Gramsci Society, a confirmed communist. But if you look at his, he, was a, he taught at Notre Dame for 42 years, and you look at his, his bio, and they never even mention it. And his son is a disciple. Make no mistake about it. So this stuff is insinuating its way into our culture. Now, Gramsci had this theory. He said, you know, when you look at a country like America, you can't destroy a country like that by a violent revolution by trying to get the proletariat, the workers, up in arms. And the reason is that they're not held together by violence. They're held together by a common set of values. 
and their experiences don't lend themselves to revolution. So for example, you take a kid like me, born in the urban town of Chester, Pennsylvania, my family breaking up at the time I was born. I was born into poverty. I was shipped around to uh, foster homes up until the age of 18 months old. At 18 months old, I was placed in the home of Rebecca and Willie Millette, two poor people who were illiterate. I don't mean semi-illiterate, they were illiterate. Willie could not read or write, he, he made a mark. And, and my foster mother, Rebecca Mollett, could sign her name and write just a little bit, but she didn't read very well at all. That's the way I was raised. You know, the Washington Post sent a reporter, when I ran for Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, the Washington Post sent a reporter to Chester, Pennsylvania, because part of the story I told was that I grew up in a, in a house without an indoor bathroom. And every Saturday night, we took a bath in a galvanized tub. And since I was the youngest in the foster home, I found myself having to get in the tub that other people had already used, and it did not look good to me. <laughs> and I did not want to get in that tub. If I could, I would be out in the shed kitchen splashing water, trying to pretend I had gotten in the tub so I wouldn't have to get in that nasty water. And do you know the Washington Compost sent a reporter to Chester, Pennsylvania to try to prove that I had never took a bath in a galvanized tub? Well, you know, you can't make up a galvanized tub. I mean, you either have been in water or you haven't. We ate mayonnaise sandwiches sometimes for dinner because that was all there was. Some of us, sometimes we sopped up biscuits and syrup. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And yet, and yet, at the age of 10 years old, my father came back into my life, took me out of foster care, took custody of me, sat me down, and, and gave me a lesson that I will never forget, and it's with me to this day. He said, son, this is the United States of America. You can become anything you want to be and do anything you want to do, but it's up to you. Make something of yourself and don't ever come back to me with excuses. That's what my father taught me. Well, it's hard to have a revolution, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's hard to have a revolution when you have people born with nothing who then become successful. Some fabulously wealthy, some start businesses, some like me do, do things that, that give me meaning and purpose in life and, and allow me to fulfill my God-given gifts and talents. Revolution? Man, I want more of what we've already got. I don't want less of it. I want more of it. And Terry Grimm, she said, the way you change a culture like that is you get in, in on the inside and you change the cultural values of the nation and you, you subvert its cultural hegemony. That's his phrase, cultural hegemony. And you replace it with something that makes people embittered and angry and upset and, and feeling the need to completely transform the culture. And so, for example, Gramsci said, you don't need to do away with the church. You just need to change its mission. Yeah. And so instead of the church being about personal salvation and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's about social justice. As, instead of the church teaching the brotherhood of man that God loves us all, created us all, has a plan for us all, you teach critical race theory and black liberation theology. You don't, you don't need to do away with corporations. You just infiltrate them from the inside and you subvert them into institutions that stupidly work against their own interests. And we've got it happening all over the country now. You've got major corporations promoting Marxist ideas. The idiots don't have sense enough to know that if Marxists ever took over, they're, 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 they're the first ones whose heads would be locked off. You know, Stalin had a, a phrase for them. He called them useful idiots. You don't need to have a violent revolution. You, you teach people reasons to be disenchanted. That America's a racist nation. That America stole its land. That America's exploited. 
that America is, 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 a, is a nation that, that takes advantage of everybody around the world through imperialism and, and imposing its will on everybody. And you teach that to the children until they reach a critical point where they are, they are demoralized. And that's exactly what's going on in our country today. And it is a Marxist move. There's another Marxist that you may not have heard of called George Lukacs. George Lukacs was a Hungarian Marxist. And of course, one of the things that Marx said was that you've got to do away with the family. Because the family's in the way. It's an exploitive bourgeois institution and you must get rid of it. How do you do that? George Lukacs said, I've got the way. You teach the children sex education that subverts the values of their own parents. And you teach them that their parents are idiots for believing in things like monogamy and marriage and, and no sex before marriage. And, and all of these, these hokey values, you, you undermine that and you teach the children that their parents are too stupid to understand how wrong they are so that the children become more loyal to the state than they are to their own families. How many people have come up to me in my travels and said, Bishop Jackson, I homeschooled my child. I brought my child up the right way. I took them to church every Sunday. And they went away to college for one year and came back a different person. You see, we are under attack from within. And this, this stuff is demonic. It is a spiritual battle. And look, we've got to make up our minds. We've got to understand what is going on. And we've got to make up our minds that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And there's no way any demonic strategy like that is going to take over our country. That we're simply not going to allow it to happen. And folks, that's what Black Lives Matter is all about. Black Lives Matter is not about saving black lives. Because, first of all, it is based on a lie. The lie that police officers are all over the country hunting, hunting down black men. And you know, I said this on the radio, and I've gotten some blowback for it too. I said, I'm 68 years old, I drive, I've driven all over the country, literally, all over the country, and I've been accused of having a heavy foot, but don't believe it. <laughs> so therefore, I've been stopped a few times. I have never had a bad interaction with a police officer. Never. I've never been called out of my name. I've never been mistreated. I've never been disrespected. Now, true, some police officers are friendlier than others. Some are just all business. Some are very friendly. But I've never had a problem. Uh, last time I looked, I was black. <laughs> so I'm saying, how come they keep missing me? Well, we know it's a lie out of the pit of hell. In fact, quick story, I had a, a police officer stop not too long ago. <laughs> He told me I was driving a little fast and I didn't dispute it. And uh, he, you know, he went back and you know, checked out everything, came back, gave me a ticket. I, you know, I, I, I knew I was speeding a little bit. So I took the ticket, I said, and I, I have these coins that I give to police officers. We have prayer cards and coins. And I reached out and got one of them. I said, hey, listen, officer, I said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you, that we care about you guys. You're doing a very difficult job. We are for you. Don't think that everybody out there is against you. We are not against you. Now this is after he gave me the ticket. <laughs> and the, 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 the officer took the coin and looked at it. He said, you, you all made these? I said, yes we did, to try to support our police officers. He reached him up and said, give me back that ticket. <laughs> Approximately 7 million white people are arrested every year. Approximately 3 million black people are arrested every year. Of, of, about 12 to 13 million people are arrested every year across the country of various backgrounds. 
out of the 2.7 million who are arrested who are black, about 250 get into lethal interactions with police and lose their lives. Most of them lose their lives, as just happened, for example, in Milwaukee, where they found a cop innocent of any wrongdoing. Black cop shot at by black guy with stolen gun. The cop returns fire and kills him, and they're rioting in Milwaukee over that right now. It's not about saving black lives. What about that black police officer's life? What about these children like Talaferro and, and the Sequoia who are minding their business? Sequoia in her mother's car. Talaferro sleeping in his bed at four years old, shot to death by thugs in the streets. Have you heard any protests about that? Have you heard any, any people saying, wait a minute, that's, that's horrible. These are innocent children. No. No, because it's not about that. It is about undermining the authority of police and proving to people that America as a whole is illegitimate and therefore getting all these people riled up. Folks, that's what uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick's refusing to stand up for the flag was all about. It was not about police brutality. It was about hating America. That's what's going on here. And by the way, in August of 1970, I stood up in a Marine Corps office took an oath to the Constitution of the United States of, States of America that I would preserve, protect, and defend it against all enemies, foreign, domestic, foreign and domestic, and bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That oath never had an expiration date. Amen. And folks, I have to tell you, I'm a born-again believer. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you start disrespecting my flag, you're getting on the wrong side of me. <laughs> This stuff is about undermining our legitimacy as a nation and instilling that garbage in the minds of our young people so that they will reject everything we stand for. Reject our Constitution, reject our Judeo-Christian values, reject our vision for who we are as a nation. I said, well, we're not a perfect country, I know that. I mean, look, you're, you're looking at a young man who is the, the, the descendant of slaves and sharecroppers. My great-grandparents, Gabriel and Elijah Jackson, lived in Orange County, Virginia. That's one of the reasons why I went back to Virginia, because that's my ancestral home. Um, I, I, but I'm looking at uh, Grant very pretty hard right now. <laughs> but, but you know what, folks? These leftists are trying to use our history to divide us. And when the fact of the matter is, and I, I've done, done the research on this, there are only two African countries on the African continent, only two, that have a standard of living that's equal to the median standard of living of the average black person in the United States. All the others, are living, people are living well below the poverty line. And the fact of the matter is, you know, they want to talk about reparations. This is my view. Here's your reparations. You're an American citizen, and you get to fulfill your God-given talents. You get to pursue your opportunities here. You get to become a billionaire here. You get to be a sports figure here. You get to be an author here. You get to be a lawyer here. You get to go as high as your gifts and abilities and hard work will take you. That's all the reparations you need. But see, this is this Gramsciite Marxism, because look, or based on class, you can't get a billionaire to be angry about how they've been held down. <laughs> really? But if you can make the issue race. I mean, have you all seen Oprah Winfrey's any of her shows and seen any of these clips from her shows? She, here she is, a billionaire who hasn't had a hard day probably in the last 30 years, sitting before some young white person, telling the young white person that she is their victim 
and that they are a beneficiary of white privilege, Oprah Winfrey, the billionaire and the mogul, acting like a victim. Spike Lee, who's worth $100 million, Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, who's worth a billion dollars, acting like victims. I think it was Candace Owens who said, well, if they're victims, give me some of that victimology. I, I, I'll take all of that you want to give me. It's preposterous, but it's a strategy for getting people who otherwise could not complain to complain. I mean, look, when I heard Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, I think she's the one who said this, said, well, you know, when Barack and I, when, we, when he was a U.S. Senator, we would walk through the stores and people would follow us because we were black. Now, my first thought is, well, you ought to shop like I shop because I shop like a missile. So you have a hard time following me. If you want to follow me, go ahead, if you can keep up. Because I'm going straight to what I want, and I'm heading out the door. But I don't have time to think about what you think about me. I'm not a thief. Think whatever you want to think. And they're running around the, most two, the two most powerful people on earth complaining about somebody following them in a store. Get a life, my goodness. <laughs> So we, listen, we, we, we have got a challenge ahead of us. Yeah. So one of the things, I, I continually pray, God, give us an awakening. Because what is happening is this stuff has gotten so into the spirits. I, I think of it this way. It's almost like many people in the country are in a mass cult. They don't need to be persuaded. They need to be deprogrammed. Because that's how, that's how deep this stuff is in their psyche. Because, and, and it's getting reinforced by the mainstream media. It's getting reinforced, reinforced by people around them. They don't realize they are blessed to live in the greatest station on earth with, with all this opportunity, and they're squandering it with a whole lot of moaning and groaning about how bad it is. You want to you hear leftists really get mad when they hear me say this. Well, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm an American of African descent. My ancestors were slaves. But I'll tell you what, I don't care how they got here. I'm just glad they got here. <laughs> Listen, our ancestors may have come on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. <laughs> Let's not sink the boat. Let's make, the, make sure that the boat floats and fulfills its God-given destiny. Yes. I, we started an organization called Staying True to America's Dash, National Destiny because I believe that God had a destiny for this country when he put it in the hearts of our founding fathers and we're going to see to it that that destiny is fulfilled. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means in a second. But first of all, so given the circumstance that we are in, what should we then do? Well, first of all, we've got to expose the truth. We've got to expose the lies. We've got to make sure that people understand what is going on. We've got a lot of people who really think that this is just business as usual. Oh, it's the left, it's the right, and you know, we're having a debate. No, it's not. This is a true story. When Ronald Reagan got shot, uh, then Tip O'Neill, went into his hospital room and held his hand and prayed with him and cried because they were friends. And they didn't see eye to eye on everything, but they could work together. That was the time of the Scoop Jacksons and, and some of these Democrats who understood that America is a great nation. And we may not see eye to eye on everything, but we can come together and work together within the parameters of the things that we hold dear and that we believe in. That's over. And by the way, it's not over because we've changed. We haven't changed. My views, I, be, I, I left the Democrat Party, my wife and I both, in the early 1980s. By the way, in full disclosure, I voted for Jimmy Carter. I've repented many times. God has forgiven me. But my wife and I listened to Ronald Reagan. We said, Ronald Reagan speaks to our hearts. And we left the Democrat Party forever. In fact, the Democrat Party in Massachusetts at that time was headed by um, 
Barney Frank, first openly homosexual member of Congress. Well, he was he was big time in the in the Democrat Party of Massachusetts, and that was the first hint that I had that I might be in the wrong place as a Christian if it was being led by him. Okay. Uh, and by the way, for people who say, well, you know, black people leave the Democrat Party because they think they're going to get something. Let me tell you something. To be a Republican in Massachusetts is not to get anything. Okay? You're, you're, not, you're not setting yourself up for any rewards. So my wife and I left the, the, the Democrat Party and joined the Republican Party because we knew that we could not live with our own consciences based upon the things that they were even then. This was back in the early 80s, the things that they were doing and, 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 and speaking about. I remember during that time, this early 1980s, Barney Frank was pushing a bill to lower the age of consent for sex between minors and adults. Even then, you all know that they're doing that in California right now. So this stuff, this stuff never ends. So we've got to expose the truth to these people who think, oh no, this is, this is just the normal debate. It's not the normal debate. Look, here again, my wife and I believe in marriage then, we believe in marriage now. We believe that homosexuality was wrong then, we believe it's wrong now. We believe that abortion was wrong then, we believe it's wrong now. We have not moved. But the Democrat Party and the left have moved so far left that they no longer are recognizable as people who believe in American values. That's the problem that we've got, and they're, they're inculcating this stuff in our children. You know, I, I hear this stuff, well, if you believe in marriage as a union between one man and one woman, that makes you a member of the far right. Really? You know, I see, they, they act like we sat around somewhere and plotted how to offend them. I know, let's say marriage is only a union between one man and one woman. That'll get them. I think someone else came up with that idea. And it wasn't us. We inherited it. And, and so we've got to tell people this is not simply a, a, a debate about business as usual and two sides compromising. This is about people who want to fundamentally transform this nation into something that God never intended, the Constitution won't allow, and you and I are never going to accept. We're never going to accept telling us that I can't say what I believe in because that's hate speech. Yeah. Well, just buckle in, brother, and get ready, because here I come. <laughs> and I'm not going to have anybody tell me that somehow I'm immoral or I'm wrong because I happen to own an AR-15 and, and several clocks and a 38 and and a Corella, and I can go down the line. And by the way, Ed know how to shoot them too. That's for anybody who might watch and think, I've got an American flag prominently displayed on our front lawn. For any of the Black Lives Matter or Antifa people who think they're gonna come on my front lawn and tear down my flag, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Now, people have said to me, now, wait, 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 Bishop Jackson, no, you're a man of God. You're a man of God. How in the world can you talk about shooting people? Say, so, well, look, if you come into my house or onto my property and do harm to me and my wife or my family, you can take solace in this. After I've shot you, I will pray for you. <laughs> but I will shoot you first. We can't let people take away our Second Amendment rights. We can't let people turn this into some sort of, 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 of socialist state. What they did to President Trump in the 2016 election is criminal. It is a violation of everything that this nation stands for, and we've still got people in the government who are trying to carry out the same nefarious purposes of undermining the duly elected President of the United States of America. And if they can steal the next election, they will. And so you and I have got to expose what this stuff is, is that's going on and tell all of our neighbors, you've got to get to the polls and you've got to vote for the Constitution. You've got to vote for Judeo-Christian values. You've got to vote for freedom. You've got to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, let me just say it.
to oppose, oppose what they're doing. We gotta stand against this stuff. I mean, are you, drag queen story time? Are you killing? Are you kidding me? I mean, that is ridiculous. I'm glad. And by the way, congratulations, Texas, for bringing charges against Netflix for their pedophile film. So we've got to oppose the stuff that they're doing that we know is absolutely wrong. And I realize this is becoming more and more dangerous to do because you can lose your job these days. If people know, my friend Kelvin uh, uh, Cochran was uh, uh, fire chief for Atlanta and lost his job because they found out he was in churches teaching that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. And by the way, just, to, just in the interest of full disclosure, Kelvin Cochran happens to be a black man and the mayor at that time, Kasim Reed, happens to be a black man. But that black man fired another black man because he wasn't down with homosexuality. That he didn't want to be associated with that. That he didn't want to agree with that. So my brothers and sisters, always remember this. It's not the skin, it's the sin. That's the problem. And that infects, that can infect anybody and everybody. You know, I love this. I, I hear this statement by these leftists. Well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in having someone serve in that office who looks like me. Really? Yeah, there might be a serial killer who looks like you. How about, I want somebody who shares my values, who shares my vision, who shares my principles, who shares my conviction, who will represent what I stand for. Listen, God is not interested in the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And that's what we've got to start doing. Look, I'm convinced of this. If God were to wave his hand over the whole earth right now, make every single person, every single person, same complexion, I mean exactly the same complexion, exactly the same texture here, but he left one difference. Some with blue eyes, some with brown eyes, some with black eyes, some with hazel eyes, some with green eyes. It wouldn't be long. The green-eyed folks would be over in the corner saying, did you see the way those hazel-eyed folks look at us? I'm telling you, we need a green-eyed liberation movement here. Because it's, 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 it's the spirit of division. But we, the body of Christ, are supposed to understand that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is in all and over all and through all, that we are all born into one spirit, we're all born into the same heaven, we all belong to the same kingdom, there is only one name given unto heaven among men whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus, that every eye will behold him, that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I, I've been told by my staff, by some of the, the people who are around, are around me that I should not say this, but I think it's instructive to say it. Um, a few months ago, a call came into my office threatening my life, and I wasn't sure what to do with it, so under, by the recommendation of some people around me, I called the FBI. The FBI said, yes, it is a credible threat. Um, I tended to, particularly when I'm, I'm uh, in Virginia, have security around me all the time, um, and what the person said was, um, I would hate to have to go to jail for shooting E.W. Jackson and killing him. But it looks like that's the way it's gonna have to be. Now I say that not to try to call attention to myself or ask for your sympathy. I say that to simply let you know this. I'm not slowing down or backing up not one bit. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they threaten. I don't care what they do. I'm gonna stand up for this country until I breathe my final breath. And I hope you're going to do the same thing too. 
I'm going to stand up for that flag. I'm going to stand up for that constitution. I'm going to stand up for our Judeo-Christian values. And I'm going to stand up for the United States of America. I love this country. And I'm not ashamed to tell the world that America is the greatest place on earth for me.
just, I, I'm just, just childish enough, and, and the world would say stupid enough to say Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. So don't you dare back up. Don't you dare give in. I want you to leave this place ready to do whatever it takes. I'm not, I'm not saying go out and hurt anybody. You all know that. I'm talking about, listen, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought under obedience to Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't have to back up or back down. The Bible says the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The word of God says his eyes go to and fro throughout the earth seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And the word of God says, have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Listen, I'm 60 years old. But I still got some pep in my stick. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I read the back of the book and we win. Well, Father, I just thank you for bringing us all here today. And Father, I thank you for the encouraging words that we've heard tonight. And Father, I just ask that you boldly send us out. You send us out to our community and you send us out to this world. And that we boldly proclaim who you are. We proclaim your love, your grace, and your justice over this land, Father. And Father, that those who come against us, that we just remind them that no one can come against you. God, I thank you for all that you've given us. And I thank you for this wonderful Amen. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement we received. Lord, may we take this courage with wisdom and put it to work in Jesus' name. Now to live the life. Many are the words we've heard. Many are the songs we've sung. Many are the things we've seen. Now to live the life, Lord. Help us to take this courage and put it to work with wisdom applied to our local situation in our houses, our churches, our neighborhoods, and our community, and our nation. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory and the praise. Lord, bless our speakers and everyone that helped put this together. Amen. Amen.